Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to talk about sanctity of life. And, you know, in January, in our local churches, uh, at most churches that I've been a part of at least, um, usually around the middle of the month, we celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we talk about what does it mean to be made in the image of God, and and why is this topic so important? So, um, unfortunately, uh, later on in the month, I have some other episodes planned with some great authors, and uh, actually, we have an amazing lineup uh, through the first two months of the year, and I'm already working. Uh, on in March now already. So uh, we're, we're going to have some great conversations with some great authors and great topics uh, for your consideration. But today we're going to focus and dial in and really f- spend the time on this episode talking about the sanctity of life. So the sanctity of life, it simply means that all of life is sacred. And this sacredness is not a reflection of the goodness or the holiness of man because we're sinful. It reflects the origin of man because we are all created in the image of God. Now, one of the most precious gifts that God has bestowed upon us is the gift of life. I want you to think of how we celebrate the birth of a newborn or mourn the loss of a loved one. By doing this, we acknowledge the importance and the value of human life. And so this term, sanctity of life, has been most connected uh, to the battle over abortion and protecting the lives of the unborn. But we must ask, is there more to this term than those ideas? Uh, For this reason, I just want us to think broader than we typically do when we talk about the sanctity of life. And that is not to be unclear here. The, the, the idea of fighting against abortion and speaking against abortion, absolutely vital. You would not hear me say otherwise. But we need to have, we need to understand what does the sanctity of life mean? And when we understand what it means, we'll understand that it means more than just speaking out against abortion. It means being for all of life from the womb to the tomb and everywhere in between. So the word sanctity, it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy, sacred, or set apart. The Bible makes it clear from the beginning that all life is sacred. And so this sacredness ties back to Genesis 1:26, when God said, let us make man in our image. Now, this means when you look around you, every human life you see has been created by God in the image of God and is a reflection of God. This is referred to theologically as the Imago Dei. The origin of who we are and who we reflect is what gives every single human being their value. Where our society gets in trouble is when we create hierarchies of value. And there's a tendency to place a higher worth on on one person's life over another. And when we do this, by default, we devalue the worth of the other person. So this type of thinking and behavior stands in direct opposition to a true biblical worldview and to the meaning and the purpose of the sanctity of life. 
Now, in the New Testament, Paul removes all barriers that would attempt to lift one people group or group above another. In Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, in the body of Christ, which if you've repented and put your hope and trust in Christ alone, you are immediately placed into the body of Christ. You are indwelt by the Spirit. There's one head, Scripture says, and that is Jesus, the head over the church. Every single member of the body of Christ is equal. Uh, all are necessary, all are valuable, no life is dispensable. But and yet we must say also this, just to be clear, while we are equal in dignity, value, and worth in the sight of God, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, which means that while we're all equal in dignity, value, and worth, we're still distinct in our role. A man has things that he is to do, as the Bible says, and a woman has things to do, as the Bible also says. And so, a man is a man, and a woman is a woman. And this is the understanding of the sanctity of life we must use when we consider the worth and the value of every human life, because at the moment of birth, God assigns that gender to us. The problem is, is when we rebel against that gender, that's why we have issues in our society. And we talk about those on this show a lot. So uh, I encourage you, especially if, if, if you're wondering about those things, go back to June of 2023, for example, uh, where we did a whole entire month on this show alone talking about these matters and, and how biblical gender and biblical sexuality are under attack. Uh, I think you'll find it very helpful and fascinating. And Lord willing, um, I'm hoping to do that this year as well. But we'll see uh, what ends up happening. But at least, uh, at least in June, I want to hit this topic again pretty hard. So now we need to ask the question, does the Bible mention the phrase sanctity of life? Well, this phrase sanctity of life does not occur in the word of God, but the Bible is clear in its affirmation of the sanctity of life. The Bible affirms life in the womb and life outside of the womb. In, in Jeremiah 1 and 5, we see one of the verses that mentions and speaks about life in the womb. Jeremiah 1 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139 13 says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So here's some verses about life outside the womb. Matthew 25, 35 through 36 says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34 says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so scripture is clear that God makes no distinction in the value of any human life. It makes no difference where a person comes from, what they look like, how old they are, how much money they have, or the color of their skin. Every single person is created in the image of God. And for that reason alone, we need to treat them with dignity, value, and respect. 
And so let's dive a little deeper into the biblical meaning of the sanctity of life because, you know, in our modern culture, this term has been a rallying cry to protect the lives of unborn babies. And But if you only view it within this scope, you're limiting the true meaning of this term. And if life is sacred, then we must say all of life is sacred. That means if we're going to take a biblical approach to the sanctity of life, this means we have a responsibility to help the poor, the widow, the orphan, the elderly, the immigrant, the disadvantaged, and the undeserved. We cannot cater to one group of people over another. To be clear, this is not a political statement. This is biblical. This is grounded in the word of God. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. So we must say, if we really understand and live by this term, the sanctity of life, then this should be shaping or reshaping how we look at those around us, not just when the baby is in the womb, but even more so when they're out of the womb. Now, if you're going to be an advocate for the sanctity of life, then here is where this gets a little sticky. But before you can even proclaim you believe in the sanctity of life, it's imperative you begin by searching your own heart and asking some tough questions. Take a moment and really think about these questions that I'm about to ask you. Do you believe in the value of all human life? Well, the quick answer is to say yes to this question, because let's be honest, who's going to say no? But we cannot stop there. We must go deeper. Here's the next question. Are you willing to fight for the rights of the child after they are born in the same way you did before they were born? Now, in the womb, the child is innocent, but outside the womb, they start living, and life means the necessity for food, for shelter, for education, for opportunity, and even other things which require time, resources, and may infringe on your life. And so, in this instance, the value of the life has not changed, but has your attitude changed, you must uh, ask yourself. Now, now, here are some more points to consider without even anything else said. How, how do you think about people groups outside of your own? How do you view others that might be in a different economic or even social class than you are? Does a poor, uneducated person have the same value as a wealthy, educated one? Does the life of the immigrant matter just as much as a life of the citizen? Are the elderly just as important as the young? Well, here's the thing. If we believe in the sanctity of human life, then we must be willing to ask ourselves the hard questions as Christians to make sure this is how we truly view every human life. You see, if we don't check our hearts on the matter, then the sanctity of life is nothing more than an empty slogan, words we say with our mouth but don't believe in our heart. You see, the goal should be about life and the sanctity of life because that's what the Word of God requires us to do. And this is also the challenge. It, it can be easy to get lost in the noise of media or even political talk about uh, the human, their life, their intrinsic value. But if we're going to preach and believe in the sanctity of all human life, then we need to make sure that God's word is the final word on this matter. And it is. So all life is sacred, those in the womb and those outside the womb. And we need to protect it and care for them all at the same time. 
And so the simple but sublime words of Genesis 1.26 that God created mankind in his own image and likeness are some of the most important words in all the word of God. The teaching that man is the image and likeness of God is absolutely foundational to a Christian understanding of human nature, the dignity and value of the person, and for Christian ethics. And it is the purpose of our time together to explore some of the important practical implications of the this crucial biblical truth for Christian living and even for contemporary ethical issues such as capital punishment, human rights, abortion, and even stem cell research. And so the biblical passages in the Old and the New Testament that relate to the image of God. For our purposes, the following definition should be sufficient. The image of God in man is that which gives human beings the capacity for a uniquely personal relationship with God. The image of God encompasses man's humanity as such and involves the whole person, body, mind, emotions, will, and spirit. A man's humanity cannot be reduced to only one of these aspects. The image of God is not a human achievement, but a gift conferred on all human beings by God's creative act. And so the purpose of man's creation as the image of God is that man might enjoy a personal relationship with the creator, both in time and eternity. A definition of the image of God that encompassed more explicitly the various strands of biblical revelation can be seen as follows. So being created in the image and likeness of God, it means being created to share the status of Christ's royal sonship, reflecting on earth God's heavenly authority, glory, and righteousness. Now, we need to say this, that Jesus Christ is the true, perfect image of God, reflecting the Father's character and enjoying as the eternal Son, intimate, loving fellowship with himself. So we as redeemed humans are being renewed in the divine image and granted the status and even the privilege of sonship by adoption. As those who are being renewed in the image of God, we are called to reflect the holiness, the righteousness of our creator in all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our deeds. And so the biblical doctrine of man's creation as the image of God is foundational for all of Christian ethics because it teaches that the lives of human beings have intrinsic and not merely instrumental value. Our lives have value as such, not merely in terms of what we may be able to do for others. Human beings have inestimable value in the sight of God, irrespective of gender, race, state of health, dependency, or even social or economic utility, but simply and profoundly because human beings among all God's creatures have been designed and created for the purpose of enjoying a personal relationship through Jesus Christ with the creator of the universe. So the biblical writers, they draw important ethical implications from the image of God in two very important areas, namely capital punishment and the dignity of the human person. In Genesis 9, 6, it stated that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, just as desecration of a nation's flag is an attack on the value of the nation that the flag represents, so an attack on the life of man is an attack on the majesty of God who created man to be his representative on earth. And it might be asked if, if the word shall in verse 6 is to be understood merely as a prediction of future retribution and revenge or as a command to execute the murderer. While either possibility is grammatically possible based on the Hebrew text, the interpretation of words as a divine command is more likely given the context. And the very fact that a reason is given the presence of the divine image of man, it makes it more plausible that a command is intended here. 
This understanding is also consistent with the fact that other passages in the Mosaic Law explicitly require the execution of a murder in Numbers 35, 16 through 21. And the fact that this command is given in the context of the covenant with Noah, which renews the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply, it indicates that the command to administer capital punishment justly is not limited to Old Testament Israel, but is valid for all nations and all societies. In the New Testament, James draws important implications from the presence of the divine image in man regarding respect for the dignity of the person. He notes the inconsistency in the way human beings can use the tongue with blessing and cursing coming from the same mouth. In James 3 9, he says, With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, James points out the absurdity of praising and cursing men, since to curse men is an effect to curse God, since men and women bear the divine image. James' structure on cursing can extend to all forms of verbal and even physical abuse of the person, such as abusive and destructive language as contrary to the inherent dignity and value and worth of the person created in the divine image of God. So verbal abuse, domestic violence, and torture are all abhorrent to God. James' teaching here presupposes that the image of God is still present in man even after the fall. And this is inconsistent with the New Testament teaching that in another sense, the image of God needs to be renewed and restored in the believer through the sanctifying power of the word and the Holy Spirit. As Ephesians 4, 23 through 24 teaches and Colossians 3, 9 through 10 tell us. Now, theologians have made a helpful distinction between the formal image, which is universally present despite the fall, and the material image, which is renewed by grace in the life of the Christian. A brand new automobile that has been wrecked in a collision is still an automobile in the former sense, but in a material sense, it now lacks the beauty and the functionality that it was originally designed to employ. And earlier in his epistle, James had warned believers against showing favoritism to the rich in the Christian church in James 2, 1 through 7. Such partiality is a violation of the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself in James 2, 8. The command to love your neighbor is in itself inherently related to the image of God, since equal respect for the person, despite differences of social and economic status, is ultimately based on the presence of the divine image in all people. Now, the biblical teaching concerning the image of God has important implications for contemporary issues such as human rights, the sanctity of human life, and even bioethics. The concept of the image of God has been foundational in Western society for the institutions and even the practice of human rights and democracy. When Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, the background of his thought was this fundamental teaching of the first chapter of Genesis. Human beings are not, in fact, equal in ability, gifts, education, or achievement, but are equal in view of their common creation to be image bearers of God. The political scientist uh, John Howell has pointed out that the modern world, having lost sight of this crucial biblical truth, has in fact no basis for believing that all men are equal, as he says. No firm basis, he says, for human rights that are anything more than the creations of human societies. Likewise, the very concept of democracy finds its true basis in this crucial biblical truth. The principles of one person, one vote, and the principles of political equality and even self-government are consistent 
consistent with the equality of all persons as equally bearing the image of God. It is in the image of God that, that the Christian faith grounds a sanctity of life ethic in issues such as abortion, euthanasia, and stem cell research. As image bearers of God, by, by their fact of being created by God, the lives of human beings, as we're discussing, have intrinsic and not merely instrumental value. Innocent human life is invulnerable and may never be licitly destroyed for somebody's benefit. If it's asked, when does the image of God appear in man? The best biblical answer is at the beginning, after creation. When a living human being is present, the image of God is present. Human life has transcendent value in the eyes of God from the moment of conception until natural death and must always be respected as such. Finally, it's going to be helpful to remember at this juncture in our nation's history that the ethical implications of the image of God are not limited to either the political right or even the political left, but they encompass both the sanctity of life and even the social justice agendas. This foundational biblical teaching, it calls all Christians to honor the dignity and value of all persons at all times and all circumstances in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And I want to be clear here. When I, when I just said what I did, we are 100% against the social justice gospel, the woke gospel that is infiltrating our society. But we have to be clear, because we believe in the image of God in man, that means that other people, when we're engaging in, in discussions with others outside of our camp, you know, in our culture even, we have to fairly represent people. If we believe that all people are equal in dignity, value, and worth, then then we need to show that in our in our speech, in our conduct, in the way in which we conduct ourselves out there in the public square. This means that we accurately represent people's positions and, and their statements. This is why oftentimes what you'll see, and, and, and this is also something that I int- very intentionally do, Sometimes, sometimes we will take a short clip and I'll play it. But my, my opinion is why not play that whole segment? Sometimes it's four to five minutes of of that segment. Uh, If you watch our short clips on social media, this is the same idea that I have because I, I want you to understand the context of what's being said. Even if, even if the only point, my, the reason that I'm highlighting that clip is, is for a few seconds or even 30 seconds of the discussion in that clip. I think it's important to have context because when we don't understand each other in context, we're going to talk past each other. And it's the talking past each other that doesn't show value. It doesn't show that we actually value one another, that that we're not showing actual, uh, that we actually take the image of God very seriously. And so this idea has implications for how we engage, how we talk to one another, non-Christians, our neighbors, our friends, how we treat one another in the body of Christ as well. Well, we have pretty well covered this topic today on the sanctity of human life. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equip You and Grace podcast. Until next Monday and Wednesday, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. 
You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.